Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hey, Hey, Agave, a podcast brought to you by Tuyo NYC. Before we get started, I wanted to mention that our guests oftentimes are affiliated with specific brands. However, Gabrielle, myself, and Tuyo are not in any way affiliated or partnered with Mezcal or Agave Distillate brands, so whatever commentary Gabrielle and I make, um, it's not in any way influenced by, by brands, and they're solely our opinions. Our guest today is Dave Lather. Dave is the Northeast Market Manager for Three Badge Beverage Corp. Dave is extremely excited to talk about Mezcal all the time. We've known him for quite a while, and I'm so pleased that he decided to do this with us. He has a deep interest in pre-Hispanic history and culture. Um, He studied history and archaeology before getting into the spirits industry. In our conversation, we discuss the history of the agave plant in pre-colonial Mexico, its uses, and why this historical context is important to know when talking about Mezcal. Dave is one of the strongest advocates of mezcal and mezcal culture that we know. He is known for his ability to talk late into the night about everything and anything agave related. Uh, He also studies Zapoteco and is always trying to teach us words and phrases. So you'll definitely uh, hear some of that in this conversation. I do hope you enjoy it. Uh, It's the first of a series that we'll have with Dave. Here is our conversation with Dave Lather. Hey everyone, welcome to Hey Hey Agave. With us today, we have Dave Lather. Hi Dave. How are we doing, Sabrina? Good, and as always, Gabrielle. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. Awesome, so I figured we'll just get right into it today. Um, Dave, why don't you tell us how you got involved in the beverage industry and the mezcal world? Um, so I got in at, at first um, because I was a history major and I didn't want to teach. Uh, And there really weren't any jobs for (laughs) history majors that didn't want to teach. So I I got a job selling beer in New York and moved to New York um, in one of the weirdest interviews I've ever had. Uh, A guy, the head of this company, uh, did the old movie thing where he he said, I'm going to write down a number on a piece of paper and slide it across the table. And you tell me if that's acceptable. I was like, uh, okay. Wow. And he slid it across the table and it was, I think, $31,000. And I was like, yeah, $31,000, I'm rich. (laughs) (laughs) Did not know how New York costs. (laughs) I completely can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. You just see a couple zeros. You're like, this is so much better than what I made last year. What? Um, So yeah, so then I did that for like six months and then got a job selling wine. Uh, Managed a wine store. um, Worked for Winebow for a while, which was a great four years. And then, uh, and then got my job now with Three Badge and, and kind of concentrating and focusing on Mezcal. Oh, fun, wonderful. Um, what's the brand? Uh, so we sell uh, Pasote Tequila and Bozal Mezcal from the Agave world. We also sell Uncle Val's Gin and Kirk and Sweeney Rum from the Dominican Republic. Cool. La Pivon Vermouth. Cool. And so... Um, I mean, and talk, talk to me a little bit about like your personal history with like really, I know that you're extremely interested in agave distillates, pre-Hispanic culture. So, my, I guess my, my first interaction with Mezcal um, was when I was still in wine and focusing on wine. And uh, I was dating my, my still partner uh, Friday, five years. 
Congratulations. Um, <laughs> Angie. Shout out to Angie. Um, and our second date, we went to uh, Maya Well. And I thought Mezcal was the single most disgusting drink I'd ever had in my life. And I was like, but I can't say that because I really like her. Um, so I just went with it. And then a couple weeks later, we went back to Maya Well because, again, I was like, you know. So your experience at Maya Well was that you were like, oh, I'm not really into this. I don't like. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow. what is this smoky liquor? Uh, yeah. not a fan. And then we went back and I was like, oh, oh my God, like this is really good. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so we can establish that mezcal is an acquired taste <laughs> with this communication. For, for yeah. me at for, least, for, yeah. For, for, for a few of us. Yeah. I will include myself in it. <laughs> so you're there, you're, you're like starting to enjoy it. Are you asking questions to the bartender? Like how did you start no, to like we were get a, interested? We were at a, a separate table, you know, that night, um, just for the two of us. And then when I started to work for uh, Winebow, um, I started to taste a lot more stuff and take a lot of more stuff out to my accounts. Uh, Del Maguey, Siembra, uh, the Don Mateo, um, uh, Yubal, and then about a year later, Bozal came to Winebow. Okay. And, and then I just started asking every question that I could possibly ask to everyone that could possibly know. So what, would you call it like a slow simmer to get to the boil? Like it took you a little bit to kind of like figure out, oh, this is interesting in this kind of a way or... Yeah, I mean, especially um, it was a, like definitely a slow simmer because um, there are so kind of few people as compared to wine mm -hmm. uh, in the United States that really, really know what they're talking about. Um, so there's a, just a few people that you can actually ask questions to and get reliable answers. Um, I remember I had a work with with David Soro uh, maybe two years ago now. And it was like the greatest day of my life. I just <laughs> like bombarded him with questions for... <laughs> for people that don't know, can you tell us who David Soro is, David Soro uh, is the owner of Siembra Spirits, um, Siembra Bias, Siembra Azul, Siembra Ancestral. He's uh, the one that does this amazing tequila with Siembra very Ancestral. similar yeah. uh, procedures of Mezcal. So Siembra Ancestral has made it uh, Cascawin Distillery by the um, uh, Rosales family. And... Uh, it's, it's ancestral produced with, uh, I, I still don't know, Gabs, maybe you know uh, what the club in Zapoteco, the club that you use is tas to, to mash. What is you no. it in Spanish? Much, uh, mullet, but it's, it's martillo, maso. Like okay. it's, it's very generic names. It's, it's not that specific yeah. Yeah, that I know. So he also makes, um, he also makes the, uh, um, the Don Mateo line of mezcal from Michoacan. Um, so awesome. yeah, you know. And yeah, yeah, and just getting to bombard people with questions like uh, Ava Pelser from Delma Gay, Rick Long, and Damon Dyer from from Winebow um, was really kind of opened up a gateway to oh my God, there's so much more to learn, and so much more stuff that I really need to find out. Like and, uh, what was first on your list? I mean, besides, how about this? Let's start with you telling us like your first trip down. So my first trip was. Uh, to Oaxaca, which was made super easy because Angie is uh, first language Spanish and she could translate everything for me because uh, my Spanish is really not good. So we went to Oaxaca and uh, for five days and um, we got to sit down every single night with um, uh, Ulises and Sandra at in situ. And oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> that was like, 
heaven the cathedral yeah i have to say i have to say that the first time that i met dave was at cosme with chema Mm -hmm. and chema said you guys should sit together and together mean me dave and angie and we just couldn't stop talking (laughs) because first of all we have the same uh background with with uh, Ulises and Sandra and I and that just become that becomes brotherhood and and I have to say it like in situ has brought people to us in in such a manner that is it's almost like if you say their names mm-hmm. and there's a story behind them with you it makes you best friends it's really interesting because I feel I think that every um, podcast that we've recorded so far um, Sandra and Ulises have come up you know, so so they are in a certain kind of a way, like you know, the godmother and godfather for all of us of, of bringing us together. There, there definitely seems to be a no dickheads rule at NC two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you you don't really find Meaning. people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't really find a ton of people that you're like, oh, you know, I met Ulises and Sandra, and I hung out with them for a little bit, and they really were helpful, and um, and then later that night, you're like, wow, I hate this person. I've never had that happen. Never. No. Not in a million years. Yeah. yeah, they're they're pretty awesome. So your first experience down in Oaxaca was really educational, yeah. kind of opened your eyes to to the production process as well as just the generally like yeah, the, the we, land, the area. You know, my uh my friend uh Tino Garcia um uh invited us to meet his family and go to their palenque in San Pablo Guila. And we just hung out there for probably too long um (laughs) it's never too long never (laughs) and i mean the first thing i remember walking to their palenque was like the smell that beautiful like kind of sweet agave cooking smoke so they were in production they were in production oh that's so cool we're drinking off the still yeah and it was just yeah it was great (laughs) And so, you know, you and I have talked a bunch. And so I have to ask, like, when, because you have this background in studying history, um, when did you become an anthropology too, right? Archaeology. Archaeology, sorry. Um, When did you become interested in the pre-Hispanic culture? Uh, Right after school, I took like a month to go down to Guatemala and Belize um, and just toured archaeology, archaeological sites. and like it was then that I kind of kicked myself. I was like, man, I should have studied pre-Hispanic history in college. Like it was, I don't know. There was something about it that I've just Just loved. connected to yeah, it. I, like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sparks. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has, it has a, a, a grade of mythology and it has a grade of magic and it has a grade of uh, unknown that I don't think that many other cultures have. Like the, 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 the pre-Columbian cultures... Uh, that like up to like the the northern part of the states there's there's some very interesting uh like like not not just stories but things that they they're linked even like we can talk about it they're linked to the making of the mezcal the making of the drinking of the the destillates that they were on the time like with the pulque with the awaymiel with all these other things that it just makes you want to reach deeper because you know there's deeper Yes. Like it's not it's not a drink that is like, oh you just mix this and that. No, like there's yeah. a there's a there's so many centennials of of 
of stories that can bring you to a more deeper understanding of mezcal. Which is really awesome that you're saying that actually, because um, this folklore, this mythology is something that um, we're going to be discussing at length, um, you know, in, in future podcasts. But it's what also brought Dave and us all together here today, because um, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit about uh, pre-Hispanic culture with regards to agave plants. Um, but before we get into it, um, you brought an expression or two, I think, for us to try I did. today. Uh, I did. So let's tell us about it. Um, so I brought two. The one we're going to start off with is the Bozal Coyote. Um, this is made in Sola de Vega. Um, it's 51% uh, made by uh, Don Alberto and his son Elias. Uh, ancestral style in a canoa where they quarter the agaves, put them in the canoa, and then. Um, it's not a bat, right, as we described earlier, but it looks almost um, like a field hockey stick, if that makes sense. It's a, a big, heavy hammer at the end and then a, a, a shaft. And, um, and Elias mashes every agave by hand, uh, ancestral style. So the canoa is, off. just so people know, yeah, can a, you just describe what it looks like? Is a canoa uh, is a canoe, right? Um, but it's just a maybe four or five feet long kind of trough in a, in a kind of a U shape or a semicircle um, that they load the agaves into and then mash. The runoff then gets collected into a, a pool, which is then loaded into fermentation tanks. Um, and we'll include some of these images on um, our, the yeah. story section in our website um, about the topics that we talk about today. Sure. Mm -hmm. So clay pot distilled. And just a, an interesting thing about coyote agave um, so I, I just recently learned that um, so coyote in Zapoteco is bayou. Okay. And uh, so they call, in the Zapotecs call this agave the do bayou, um, which is, is really interesting to me because, you know, I guess probably someone went to, you know, a, a biologist and a, uh, or, or, or someone, um, you know, went to Oaxaca and was asking what each plant was. And they said, what's this guy? I said, oh, it's do bayou. What's bayou? Uh, oh, in your language, I guess coyote comes from Nahuatl. You probably understand Nahuatl. It's coyote, so, right? Yeah, it's so interesting uh, about these agaves and their common names versus the scientific names. And, you know, what I've been learning about, um, you know, over a, a time period of, like, investigating this stuff is that the common names can vary from region to region. Um, yeah. And you know, we can get into it a little bit later, but it can become very complicated because you might be talking about the same species, but the common names might be completely different. Um, so it's something, it's something that we should probably discuss further. A lot of the regions in, in Mexico by, by area, they change the dialect. So you're, you're dealing not just with a different language, with a different culture, with a different region, with a different microclimate, like the 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 amount of variables is so complex that maybe it's the same plant, but it's you know fifty or sixty miles away in the mountain, so that's enough to not see each other forever. Absolutely, and they will be named differently, and they will be used differently, and you know maybe forty or fifty years later when you know the civilizations start happening and the roads start happening oh oh you have a plant that is exactly the same as mine but mine is called blah right so that's there's a lot of that happening like the regional names 
are very interesting. Um, Ulysses was telling us that a lot of another thing that is very common with plants like this, and I think I seen coyote hybrids more than anything else. Like the first time that we were doing something with an image, and I posted, and I posted online to ask for referral for people that know more like than what us. Type of a what type is of coyote? Is, is it was a coyote that it was actually. Uh, it was a javali or a coyote, I can remember. It's a coyote that it was at Mitla. And there was a back and forward of like, no, it's coyote, no, it's this, no, it's like, like it's, and at some, at some point someone said, look, it's clearly a hybrid. And I was like, okay, so we're dealing with a completely different set of rules. And as you love to say, um, agaves are extremely promiscuous. Oh, they love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Dave, I did, I did want to, I, I mean, I think this is a really good opportunity for us to just get into it. So we're going to sure. be discussing today um, about, about the agave plant themselves, right? Um, and so let's just start out by, um, you can explain to us the word maguey, which we hear, sure. versus agave, and then obviously metal. So, um, I think we should start with with agave is kind of the 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 most well known, right? Um, that's what we see. That's the scientific name that we we see most often. Um, so agave actually traces its roots back to ancient Greece, um, and there it would have been agave. Uh, I verified this with a, a friend of mine who studies classics, so it's on point. Um, We're all good here, <laughs> vetted. <laughs> so uh, so agave was then translated. Uh, or, or co-opted by the Romans and, and shifted into Latin as A-G-A-V-E. Now, in Latin, you pronounce V's as W's and W's as V's, right? So it's agave. Um, so then 17th century rolls along. The, the scientific revolution is, is coming around and everyone is in a rush to classify everything. Carl Linnaeus. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> um, so because this plant was so multifaceted and used in so many ways, he said, well, what other plant in the world is so noble and so illustrious, which is the Latin translation for agave is a noble, illustrious person or thing. And he says, well, this, this is the agave species. So the next most kind of used word is magay. Right. And that is actually not uh, uh, indigenous to Mexico either. That is a Taino word. So when Columbus lands in Hispaniola, uh, which we call it now, right, Dominican Republic and Haiti, um, the Taino people inhabit this island and they say, oh, what's that? That's a maguey. And then Cortez, 1520, arrives in Mexico and says, look at all these magueys. <laughs> but it's metal. In Nahua, it's Dob in Zapoteco, it's Yagi in Mixteco, it's Acamba in Tarascan, it's Tzintzop in Huastec. Every single culture and every single language group has a different word in Mexico for agave. This is from the man that dares to say that he doesn't know Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to—I—I really I, 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 want to make this very, very clear. <laughs> when Dave approached me the first time at Cosme, 
he opened his backpack like if he was gonna offer me drugs <laughs> and pull a folder probably 20 different pages in sizes and colors with notes and give it to me like if i was just gonna you know magically know all these words that he has been <laughs> studying deeply uh what he just mentioned with all these different names is such a clear picture of how dynamic and how big and broad the cultures in Mexico are. They're different countries. People are very confused about this, but it's like when you're seeing Europe from up, like from a, a, a bird view, and you see tiny little countries that they all fit in the States or they all fit in Mexico as a country. Yes, that's that's how, comp like, this is how it looks like. You have, you have languages that they're not even close to each other linguistically side by side yeah uh, mixtecos cannot understand zapotecos and zapotecos can't understand mixtecos and they live side by side and so it's really interesting because throughout all of what we're talking about there there are the maguey plants there are the agaves mm -hmm. that are endemic that are growing everywhere in all of these regions they mm -hmm. don't have borders you know they don't speak a language and so neither a single name nor do they have a single name yeah. right that's that's, yeah. that's that's all this is pointing to not just the language part, that the the diversity and the and the mingle of the magaze through different places, creating hybrids and mixtures of them, is as complicated right. as having mixed words of Spanish, uh, Filipino, and uh, probably some African roots that came also through like uh, the 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 conquistador the part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because Veracruz yeah. has has a big community of African Mexicans. Like it's it's, it's kind of weird. Like you don't hear it that often, but there's there's a very strong African present uh, presence in uh, this Garifuna. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how the agave has been used throughout uh, civilization. So, I mean, agave was as i said you know the the illustrious plant and it had just uh, probably we can count them all but i want to use the word you know uncountable uh, yeah, <laughs> uses yeah, innumerable yeah. uses innumerable. Uh, yeah uncountable i don't yeah. even think that's, that's a great. word no, 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 it works it, i totally get it <laughs> that is a hey hey agave original <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here yeah. <laughs> uncountable <laughs> um yeah, I mean, an, an, an absolutely amazing amount of uses from the, the leaves to the hearts to food to, to thatching from just a, a, a million bajillion uses. But, you know, I think it, it, the plant itself and its uses invaded every aspect of, of life in pre-Columbian, pre-Hispanic society. From, ri from rituals to common life. To like common life. I mean, um, roofing. For a, a hut, agave leaves, uh, rope that was used to pull stones for pyramids into place. The they use agave like they they will use the the pencas dry pencas obviously. The penca being the penca being the, the leaf. leaves of yeah. the plants. Uh, cut it, dry it, uh, demeat it. I don't know if that will be the word that they will take the meat of the the, mm -hmm. the leaf itself that is very very meaty. Um, and the fibers attach still to the uh, pointy part. Sorry. The tip? Yeah. Uh -huh. How do you call it? The, 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 the tip of the penka? Well, like it's, the it's needle at the, the top? Needle, the, the needle. The pointy needle. tip. Yeah. The pointy one. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking uh, 
when it's connected to the, fab the, the fiber part is used like exactly the same way that you will use a threaded needle. A threaded yeah. needle. But oh. with the benefit that is 20 or 50 or 100 uh, threads so it's really together. Strong. So mm -hmm. they will use it for very, very different, like very strong bonding. And that, that needle was used for writing implements, was used for uh, like sewing, like you said, um, for ritual ceremonies regarding bloodletting and, and piercing, decorative piercing and non-so decorative uh, piercing. Piercing to extract blood. Yeah. You just said that, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but that penka had, or that uh, that needle had, just that little centimeter, two centimeter long tip, had five six uses. That's just one little part of the plant. You could make uh, kind of a paper uh, parchment mm -hmm. from the, from mashing the leaves and using a paste and to bind them together. That was most of the um, codes. Yep. Were written on the codexes. On, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Were written on that agave paper. Wow. Uh, or parchment, I suppose, would be a, a closer uh, approximation. Mm -hmm. um, it can be cooked. You can make food out of it. With the food aspect, uh, we can also talk about agua miel, which is the nectar from the heart of the agave plant. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, agua miel, um, you know, used to make, uh, to sweeten foods, uh, and but also can be fermented into pulque. Um, pulque was used as as a medicine mm -hmm. uh, or as a base ingredient before we medicine. before we get into pulque okay. though let's just talk uh, just briefly about about what agua miel is i can jump in yeah so you have a plant it's gonna flower the kiotis start showing they will cut it and that will prevent all the sugars right well the, the thing is that the energy that is needed to shoot that you know 10 feet pole is no longer used so then the plant itself still releases all this and at that point they carve exactly where that kyoto is gonna go up they carve a hole and there's a there's a technique and they call it raspar that is basically scrape the, the side of that hole once it's done and the sap that is full of sugar will will collect there and uh, we were reading today that it goes up to like four liters a day that they at, can at actually, prime. as yeah. it's prime, like they can yeah. they can actually collect and four liters of this amazing sugar saturated sap liquid, and it can it can produce for anywhere from four to six months. That the most important thing is drinkable. It's not something like a lot of saps are defend mechanism from plants. This is one of them, but curious enough, you can drink it. Mm -hmm. And this this liquid, this agua miel, um, can like you said, it can be drank immediately, right away, or it can be fermented, right? And it has a bunch of other pro, uh, medicine properties. I have a uh, a a passage actually from uh, the Florentine Codex, which was written in about fifteen forty eight to fifteen forty two fifteen fifty two, describing how they would make the salves. Oh, cool! To yeah you know, to heal these n wounds. Um, so it says, and this is all original Nahuatl, uh, Nahuatl translated into English, uh, the juice of the small maguey, when still tender, is later pressed out when it has been cooked or it is boiled in an olla, well cooked, salt is mixed in, into the water. With it is healed someone who is wounded in the head, 
or someone who was cut somewhere or whom they have been knifed or stabbed. <laughs> oh, I, I my God. That would be the... Uh, <laughs> you know, right. that was something that happened placed, pretty often. It is placed there where the head is, is wounded or where he is cut and the mage and blah, blah, blah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so as far back as what was what did you say that was? Well, that, I mean, that was that's a written in 1550 right. or so. It's like the first but recollections I mean, of yeah. the know, Spanish yeah. conquistador coming to yeah. 500 years yeah. prior to that or whatever. A thousand, yeah. two thousand, what prior to that? They yeah. were describing exactly what they were doing. Four hundreds, yeah. maybe of years, maybe millennia. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's which because they've been using it for so long. I think that's why there's so much richness in like the myth and the folklore of how the agave was discovered or where it came from, the origin story of it. Right. Um, I mean, mean, just in addition to that, clothing was from agave, right, from mage, from these pancas. Capes specifically are mentioned in, in numerous texts. Capes from the agave were were prized because they were thick. Right. Um, uh, honey to sweeten foods, right? Or, or not a, a bee's honey, but well, a mi- honey substitute. Agua miel, agua, agua miel. water, miel, exactly. honey, sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, just when you think of skirts, clothing, and everything that coming from, there was no cotton, there was no wool, there were no sheep. It was agave fiber. Yeah, everything was agave. Yeah. So, polke. Polke is a beverage that's made from uh, fermenting the agua miel. Yep. Um, so what does it what does it look like? We've all had polke here, so who wants to start? <laughs> you want to do it, Dave? All you, man. Okay. So polke is one of uh, if you have problems with textures like okra, like nopales, like anything that is slightly slimy. Pulque is going to be a hard sell for you. But once you taste it, you know, there's some concessions that you have to do. It's a bit slimy. It's a little bit white. It has a effervescence. I want to equate it to something that is slightly off, but in a good way. For wine drinkers, I would compare it to like the natural wine of beer. Absolutely. It has the same alcohol content of beer. Right. Anywhere but from that, like four to six percent. That is yeasty what we're yeah. uh, kind of effervescent feel that you get in a natural wine. Something I also wanted to mention, just because it's it's relevant to right now. Um, so if any of you saw the um, the movie Roma uh, by Alfonso Cuarón, um, yep. then you would have noticed in one of the scenes in Roma, um, they're at a party and um, um, the oh gosh, I can't remember the name of of the housekeeper Cleo Cleo yeah yeah, Cleo she she she's taken by some of the other um domestic workers to a party that's sort of like behind the scenes of like the main party happening happening and uh they're drinking polke there and that's what they offer her because that's you know it became sort of like a class issue at a certain point too well we have been reading a little bit and you you were telling me about like how polke was push aside to be able to sell beer, beer. and wine yeah, from right. the Spanish. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it never disappeared. And it never disappeared because 
it is not costly to make. And what's so fascinating to me is that, so we're talking about pulque now, and although we're not going to be talking about distillates uh, this episode, I just want to bring up the fact that, um, you know, Gabrielle, you were the first person to tell me when we first met that like mezcal was looked down upon for like most of your life growing up in like the 80s and the 90s, right? We didn't grow up drinking other than rum, whiskey, and tequila late 90s, early 2000s, start becoming like a, oh, this is a fancy tequila. And like, eh, still not buying it. I, Bacardi, straight on. Yeah. White, silver, that was the drink of the country. Like Roman Cokes and whiskey. Well, and when soda. the international market broke out, I mean. No, you know, but, but we're talking about the country that produces it. Right. Like this is this is like the crazy part of it. Like you, we had something in front of you for ever right. with the best quality that exists on a liquor and they, they nobody they, paid they, attention to nobody it. Knew. well yeah it was not profitable like this it's a very interesting thing You're, we're talking about classes we're talking about things like mexico is moving such a such a ladder of society and and your purchase capabilities and what you buy is what you are like it's a very strange it's a very strange status situation so mezcal was not right what you wanted to be associated so we're just gonna pause there i just wanted to like make that correlation between you know how pulque had been viewed in the past um and pulque was definitely the worst part of this like this was a drink for the lower, lower stratus, the pulquerias that you hear now that they're like, oh, fancy traveling pulqueria route in Mexico City. Yeah, right. Like you have to see where these places are and they still in the original place. They didn't find, like you don't find a pulqueria in Polanco that is like the Fifth Avenue in Mexico right, City. Right, right, right. You go to <laughs> the towns inside the city that yeah. still exist and that's, that's where the origin yeah. is. Dave, what was your first experience drinking pulque? It was in Oaxaca. Um, yeah, it was just a random dinner one night, and yeah. I just I had heard about it and wanted to try it. And I, for me, I loved it. Like I immediately, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this you is could for get me. down with this that is for me, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 for sure." Yeah, actually, I think it was at uh, Chalaparta in uh, with Leon. But it wasn't. In, uh, it wasn't sticky. It wasn't as thick as as. You know, a lot of people will think like it was brand no, new. It was, it was, a, it was light, a very easy, light. It was easy cold and, yeah. and it was a hot day and it was nice. I think just like anything that's fermented, um, polke needs to be drank pretty much right away. Like yeah. it can last mm-hmm. a couple days, but like it's not something that you want to hold on to. It does continuously ferment. Yeah, so exactly. by that, you know, fifth, sixth day. There is a canned version of it, I know, that exists, but, you know, I think... That it exists, but it doesn't exist. But you it's probably... <laughs> should, yeah, just, just don't go there. Um, but but, but if you're traveling in Mexico, then I... Well, go for it. If you're in San it. Diego... Oh, of course. Yeah, if you're in I California, yeah. there are places that they have the agaves on the back part of, like, the... the yeah. I, I think the San, Diego, the San Diego restaurant that I contact them they have a pretty big space. So they, they were able to have three or four agaves fully blown, working, scraping, and, and being able to do a, a small production of, of pulque. You know, pulque, certainly one of the, the, you know, along with cocoa beer, kind of the, the 
spirit or, or fermented beverage that we have the most evidence for um, from pre-Hispanic societies. Um, used as both a way to kind of commune and grow closer to the gods because it does have an, an intoxicating effect. Um, and also as, as a, a, a component in medicine. Um, pregnant women uh, were often given pulque or a lot of the time. Yeah, it's like the elderly of, and pregnant women, yeah, right? They were yeah, like because it has so much vitamin and and uh, nutritional content. Important that, to make the point that is nobody else on on the common society was able to drink this at that time. It's supposed to be just for the higher classes. That is the complete opposite of what it happened later in history. It yeah. was the, the higher classes, yeah. the priests, and, and the pregnant women and the elderly. But like, it was not a common drink until, so la until later. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like, I'm, I'm just, I, this is my own personal little uh, crackpot theory. And I, I don't think it's you probably heard right. You it here first. But, you know, I, I think we have evidence for for uh the upper classes drinking pulque um human nature tells me that oh, if there's a will there's a way people are oh, drinking yeah. pulque oh, yeah. right everybody yeah, was drinking yeah. it but yeah on the books on yeah. the on the normal uh, resources that we have it was yeah. it's plain document document documented, yeah. Resources. documented. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay but yeah. i agree i agree with you black market pulque must have been out of the country like it, it must be one of those things that like yeah Every, everybody's got a yeah. barrel of it in their backyard yeah, or something, yeah. you, you got an agave even, <laughs> <laughs> you know the plant as we mentioned grows extensively it <laughs> has no problem yeah. with weather yeah. so oh i had a quick yeah. question i don't know if you guys can answer it but is it just any agave plant where you can extract the agua miel or is it only certain species does anybody the pulquero know is most common uh -huh. um, um just because it's so large it has to be really big, right? Because yeah, because you're that, like, constantly scraping out that in interior. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the okay. pulquero, literally named the pulquero plant, uh, the agave plant is is most common for that. Um, I'm sure you could, but you know, if you looked at a a little tepestate or a little coyote, like, what are you going to get two days out of, <laughs> out of scraping it? Like, yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna work so well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, pulquero plant is the the agave, the the pulquero agave. Yeah. Cool. You know, there are quite a few passages about um, Istak Okli, right? That is uh, Okli being liquor, um, translated usually as wine, but there's conversations around that. And Istak uh, in Nahuatl would be um, white, right? So the, the white liquor, the white wine, um, you know, used often for medicine. And we have to remember that, that in, in every ancient society, medicine and ritual and religion went hand in hand right um it wasn't one or the other it was together um so i do if you guys are interested i don't know if hey hey agave is interested but i do have some ancient recipes for pulque medicine oh yeah yeah we can put them online or if you want to read one or two that will be <laughs> one good. or two all right i'll give you this one for i'll let uh, you read one i'll get you i'll get you <laughs> one for uh your favorite for this one includes chilies Okay. So oh, we'll go for this one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, the white wine is added to many kinds of medicine, uh, as has been told, roots or leaves. One who has suffered a relapse is to drink it. It is to be mixed with one yellow chili and gourd seeds 
which are to be shelled. He is to drink it twice, thrice, and is later to take a sweat bath. Like a sauna. Well, done. The sweat, <laughs> the sweat bath is, we, we, Dude, can talk, we can talk hours about it, but it's the Temescali that it was exactly that. It was like, a, it was a, a whole ritual still active in many communities. Oh, yeah. I think they're selling like um, versions of that to Americans now to go into Mexico and have a retreat, you know, and 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 have the ritual on the mountaintop and they make the sauna happen and the whole thing. So there was certainly a a ritual connection to the gods. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a a lot of the the evidence we have from from cups um, uh, don't exactly specify what was being drunk in them. uh, there was a, a, you know, a lot of pilgrimage routes. One especially was in Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, and priests would make their way up with, with um, uh, uh, ceramic bottles filled with either cocoa beer or pulque, and uh, head up to Chaco Canyon. And, and a priest would perform a ceremony where they poured into one cup and then poured it into another cup, into the same cup, and it kind of frothed. Um, and then you're you're drinking what the gods have. When you say priest, you. are you talking about? You're not talking about a Catholic priest. From no, 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 uh, no. Uh, okay. Be, yeah, uh, priests of of whatever Pre- religion. You know, yeah, pre-Columbian okay. right, religion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have polke, which has been used in ritual and ceremony. People have been drinking it for thousands of years. It's been used in trade. Um, and, you know, we also talked about the agave plant and that it's in, endemic to all different parts of Mexico and why it's so important and how it's been used culturally, you know, over, over thousands of years. My question, Dave, is why are we talking about this at all today? Like, let's give some context as to where we're going, um, because this isn't going to be the first conversation that we have with you. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, one of the biggest things that I, I, I really want to, to impress, uh, anytime I, you know, talk to a, a restaurant, talk to a, a, make a sales call, anything, is, is there is a history behind Mezcal um, that is really, really long, that is really, really important, and that isn't just uh, something that has started in the last 30 years. And when people learn that and when they understand that, they have a, a, a deeper feeling and a deeper appreciation for the mezcal that's being made uh, currently. It's not a modern concoction. It's not, you know, Alizé or hypnotic, right? <laughs> like it's not made in the laboratory. It has been um, thousands of years of people cultivating agaves, of people, you know, putting the agave on the highest possible pedestal uh, in their society, using it to make fermented possibly distilled beverages. Stay uh, tuned for the next <laughs> podcast with Dave Lather. We're going to get um, into it. <laughs> I mean, I mean there is uh, in the in the there's five surviving Mixtec codexes. One of them has the literal uh, uh, the first ancestor of the Mixtec people arriving out of the caves from the underworld and out of his mouth, his open mouth is an agave plant. Corn is just like in his ribs and like on his clothes. Cocoa's just like <laughs> on his clothes. Agave is literally coming, coming from inside, from inside wow. of Lord Eight Wind Eagle Flints, 
who may or may Wait, not be correct, real or not. Out. I think that <laughs> we just need to give you all the props in the world. <laughs> who? Lord Eightwind Eagle Flints. Flint as in the stone. Eightwind Eagle Flints. This is a direct translation? Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, you know, maybe mythic, most likely. We don't have really good dates for him. Uh-huh. But, I mean, as a, a foundational piece of mixed tech society, the agave is, is coming up, right? So this beverage that we're drinking now, mezcal, is, is not something that should be taken lightly in its preservation. It's not something that should be diffused in a giant machine and, and have its essence taken away. Um, it is foundational to, to pre-Hispanic society. With that said, there's a very, very important thing. When you see ancestral in a bottle... They're not playing this. This this read part of the the the, the label, word ancestral. the word out of the play yeah. on, the, on the label says somebody with all this cultural background, either he knows it or not, but it's behind him or her or her is doing something that it has been done this way for many 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 years. And so the 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 the, the the designation of ancestral and artisanal for me personally says all this conversation makes sense on the level of like, okay, as ancestral is not just an adjective to be added to a bottle. It has all these thousands of years of complexity into maybe just somebody doing it with a giant mullet. And, 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 and smashing this cook agave that sure it sounds not cost effective like sure but then you think about all this that we were talking about and, and this is this is the importance of the ancestral knowledge talking understanding and, and looking back not just a couple of hundred years you have you have to look back on a culture deep in to, to fully appreciate and literally have pictorial evidence yes Absolutely. of those things taking place uh, for at least 500 years but most likely thousands of years yeah. and we have to appreciate that um, when we're thinking of drinking purchasing um, talking talking about mezcal this actually reminds me um, Dave um, you were explaining to me when we met before earlier about um, the analogy that you make to scotch. And I know, Gabs, I don't think you've heard this yet. So um, can you explain? Because I think that is very pertinent to the conversation. So, yeah, I just, as I look at it as an industry, um, you know, I look at scotch and the price difference between scotch and bourbon, right? It is on an order of magnitude larger for scotch. And in the 70s and 80s, when scotch was trying to become really popular, um, they were using bagpipes, swords, castles, that Braveheart, old Scottish mythology, right? To give it an old feeling, to tie it to history, to, to make it feel historical. Because that feeling that people get drinking something historical generally leads them to pay a higher price and consider it better, right? Um, and I want that to happen in Mezcal. I, I don't want people to think of it as the new hot thing that uh, uh, a robot makes in, you know, Sweden and uh, 
we should spend $4 million on a Super Bowl advertisement to promote it. Nothing right? against Sweden and your distillates. Yeah, I, absolute <laughs> vodka, you're great. I love you. I love you, absolute vodka. You're fantastic. Just but <laughs> just, just to you know, put the nod on that thought is we are responsible. This conversation needs to happen. Uh, when you're at home, when you're with friends, when you're in the bar, like last night we were at Cosme with Georgian and we could, like the only thing that we talked was Mescal Geek talk. Shout out to Jorsan. Of course. Love him. And Chema and Omari. They'll Love be on. Guys. Don't worry. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, it's, it's, this is a continuous conversation of analysis, of knowledge, of reading and gossip. You know, why not? You know, there's like, I read this. Like, you remember when I kind of that exam like that happens yeah and if there's any of you out there that want to correct us because we got some some information wrong um please do oh my god please we invite it dave have so much information that is wrong but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um you're welcome to comment um on our website uh in the stories section tuyo.nyc if you're interested in something that you will like us talk please Please, please email us. Absolutely. And just to wrap it all up, I see that you did bring us one other expression. Would you like to tell us uh, what it is? Yeah, this is a fun one. This is a Castilla uh, agave um, from Hayacatlan. It's actually fermented in clay pots from Atzompa. Now, Atzompa is a sister city of Monte Alban. Um, Well, was a sister city of Monte Alban. And I hope I don't say its name too often because every time you go there, it's like you and the two dudes who are guarding it. And it is amazing when you visit Oaxaca. Go to Atzompa and not Monte Alban because you can have a picnic and, and enjoy yourself. So anyways, these clay pots are placed in the ground. Uh, Teofilo, Don Teofilo, hand uh, uh, scoops out every single bit of, of Pegaso, of juice, to then distill uh, it is, he can make 60 liters a day. Is I mean, that's cl- just is like... Is it clay pot? It's clay pot still. Okay. And then, yeah, so What's double clay. What's the significance of, of it buried in the ground? Huh. It's okay. tradition. Uh, I, I actually asked him if thing? they... Like, so it, does, it, does it ferment slower because it's cooler? I, I asked Teofilo if he, you know, if he had ever thought of using um, wooden barriques. Yeah. And uh, he said he tried it once and hated it and okay. went right back to just, clay pots. Yeah. I, it, Com- I, comfort. It's yeah, it, just how they've it done it. It works for them. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, and I think you would agree it makes a pretty good mezcal. Absolutely. <laughs> I have to say clay on clay. I know, Gavs. You're a big clay fan. We know it. We know it. I mean. Never please. You don't tell Philo. Do not oh. use wood. <laughs> we support you. This is coming clay. from the guy that makes uh, ceramic porcelain copitas, right? Well, maybe we can do a uh, porcelain steel. That's clay on clay on clay. Yo. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today, you guys. Salucita. 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 Hey Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez Azueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at milagro underscore verde BK. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Salucita.